raindrops tapping against the glass of your bedroom window. As thunder echoes from the tempest raging outside, you think it's a good day to enjoy a cup of coffee and a good book with a warm blanket wrapped around your shoulders. As you walk into your kitchen and begin a brew of some fresh breakfast blend, you notice something on the counter. That wasn't there last night, you think. In fact, it's something you've never seen before, a leather-bound journal. It looks like it may have endured even worse weather in its time. Curiously, you pick up the journal and open its stale, stiff pages. Thunder booms outside. You jump as you realize how eerie the atmosphere has become. You fill your mug with coffee and head back to your bedroom. You sit down in your chair next to the window, prying the book open. You're ready to discover the mysteries within its old pages. As the rain persists outside, this is what you read. In this moment, you understand this world is a strange one. Number one, The Rain Monster. Submitted by Xander D. I would have never thought that something with the fictional sounding name of the Rain Monster could actually exist in the woods near my home, but I wouldn't be here if that was the case. My name is Xander. I'm 16 years old and live in Mason City, Iowa. My best friend Hunter is 14. You see, the Rain Monster is a paranormal entity that appears only when it's raining or about to. I know it sounds far-fetched. Believe me, I wish it was as fake as it sounds. Just hear me out. It was October 30th of 2015, the day before Halloween. We found old newspaper articles from North Iowa Today about an unnamed 47-year-old man from Fairfax which is roughly a two and a half hour drive from where we live. He was found dead in his car, right in front of the forest the rain monster resides in. Medical examiners claimed his cause of death was due to self-harm. I'll link the story in the description. Now, it's weird enough that a man would drive almost three hours from home to kill himself, but this is where it gets weird because Hunter and I used to love investigating those woods, trying to learn more about this supposed rain monster. One of the weirdest things we came upon was a small clearing with a shredded couch, a shovel, and a rope tied to a tree. We always thought that somebody had committed suicide out there, but one question always came up. Why the shovel? If someone was going to hang themselves in the woods, why bring the shovel? Was someone coming later to bury you? And if so, then why? I soon came to believe that this killing wasn't a suicide at all, 
that it was the creature itself. That's basically the origin story of the rain monster. I very much believe that something in those woods is killing people. I wouldn't believe it if it weren't for what Hunter and I experienced for ourselves. You see, long before the words rain and monster were paired together in our heads, we were just a couple of kids who liked to hang out and explore the spooky forest. We liked to pretend we were survivalists, only using what we could find to survive in the woods. Then again, surviving for an hour or two wasn't that hard. We would try to meet up in those woods as often as we could after school, spending a few hours together before Hunter's mom would call him on his cell phone, saying it's time for dinner or whatever. It must have been early November of 2014. We had just begun our extra long Thanksgiving break and couldn't be happier. Obviously, this meant more time to play out in the woods. What we didn't expect was how rainy those few weeks would be. It seemed to rain nonstop. Luckily, there wasn't much thunder or lightning, and I had rain boots to spare. I walked over to Hunter's house one day, loaning him my extra pair of boots after convincing his mother that we would be fine out in the rain. The rain was hardly noticeable, I said. Then we set out together for the place we call the entrance to hell. It was a break in the tree line of the woods where you could enter without much trouble, but by God, did it look creepy. Dead branches formed arches above us and rotting tree trunks looked like they might snarl at you at any moment. We broke through the entrance to hell at record speed and began to race to the spot where we had been building a fort just a couple of days earlier. It wasn't far, maybe a 90 second walk from the tree line. But after we had been walking for 20 minutes, Hunter and I began to feel worried. There was no way we could be lost. We knew this forest like the back of our hands, yet today, in the rain and overcast weather, the forest seemed like an entirely different place. We couldn't even find a trace of any structure we'd constructed before. We didn't even see the tree we had carved stick figures into, nothing. And when we finally turned back, we couldn't find our way out. It was impossible, I'm telling you, we'd never gotten lost in those woods before, not in the years we've been playing out there. It was my home, it was our home, but that day, it was something else. Hunter and I soon began to feel winded after jogging for a while, trying to find something we recognized. So we sat down under a tree that still had its leaves and enjoyed a baby Ruth I had in my pocket. But that's when we heard it. It sounded like breathing, not like someone breathing next to you, more like the entire forest was breathing, as if a giant had laid down beside us and took a nap. I swear to God, I even felt the ground rise and fall a bit. I was scared. We were scared. What the hell were we hearing? We decided to cut the break short and we continued walking. A half-eaten baby Ruth tucked haphazardly in my pocket once more. We didn't walk 20 yards before something else happened. This time, it sounded like something crawling on the trees and branches above us. Hunter told me to stop and hush, 
and then we listened. After a moment, the sound came again. Something was jumping or moving along the branches above us. Simultaneously, our heads shot upwards, hoping to catch a glimpse of whatever was moving. I expected to see a squirrel or a raccoon, but what I didn't expect to see was nothing. I watched in horror as a tree branch jounced heavily up and down as if something had just let go of it, but nothing had been there. Then the invisible thing landed on a different tree branch, audibly crashing down on it. The branch swayed under its weight, but still we saw nothing. But we did hear something, growling, snarling. It echoed through the forest as if a creature a hundred times our size was warning us that we shouldn't be there. We nearly choked in fear, struggling to breathe and swallow hard at the same time. I was the first to take off, then Hunter followed closely behind. All the while, the tree branches above us cracked and swayed as the creature we couldn't see gave chase. As if by some miracle, we found the entrance to hell again, and I couldn't have been more happy. We burst through it until we were standing on the paved road once more. Then, feeling safer, we turned towards the entrance to hell, only to see its dead branches and arches moving as if something was pushing them to the side, trying to get through. Whatever it was had trouble getting through because it was too big. We turned again and ran and didn't stop until we got home. We didn't go back there for a while, but when we did, it wasn't raining. We didn't see or hear anything out of the ordinary that day. But when we did think about going back on another rainy day, when we heard the forest breathing again, we stayed far away from the tree line. We could only stare at the entrance to hell because something was looking back at us. There's something in the forests of Iowa. It kills people, and it only comes out when it rains. Number two, Creepy Guy, submitted by Georgia. When I was six or seven years old, I lived about 20 seconds away from my friend, so we frequently stayed at each other's houses, usually without issue. Being the rebellious children we were, we always stayed up until past one in the morning, which was really late for us at the time. Around 2 a.m. one night, we heard a slow knock on the door, like the overly cheery kind you hear in kids' movies. My friend was half asleep, but suddenly shot up and ran to answer the door. But being very shy, I yelled at her to stop. It could be dangerous. I eventually convinced her to go back to watching whatever movie it was we had on and to ignore the door, because whoever knocked this late, it couldn't be anyone good. About 30 seconds later, someone knocked again, and we both jumped. It was so sudden. Now, I should probably mention that this friend of mine I was with wasn't really scared of anything, and honestly, she was pretty careless. 
so she opened the door when I didn't think to stop her. There stood a man in the doorway. He was really tall and way too well-dressed for two in the morning when it was raining outside. With the door now open, we can hear the thunder booming from the storm, making it all the more eerie. The man was holding a clipboard, but no pencil, and somehow he was completely dry. Right away, I was panicking while my friend happily invited him inside, and at that point, I screamed as loud as I could. My friend's mom came running downstairs, clearly angry we were even awake still, and even more so when she saw that we'd let someone inside the house. She was only half awake and didn't really seem that scared. She told us to go to bed, and we heard the man asking to look at parts of the house for some kind of inspection. He would only persist when she told him to leave the premises. He kept eye contact with me though, until we closed her bedroom door. I eventually heard him leave, slamming the front door behind him. Soon, nothing but the rain and thunder from outside were the only sounds we heard. So my friend and I decided to get some sleep. Everything was fine for a while. I was beginning to doze off. And then suddenly, we heard more knocking. It wasn't polite like it was before, it went on without stopping for at least five minutes. When it finally did come to an end, I relaxed. I convinced my tired self that there was a good explanation for all of this, so I stayed still and tried to go to sleep. My friend's bedroom window happened to be long and wide, and it gave us a full view of her backyard. As I was half asleep, I kept my eyes on the window just in case for a few moments and just before I could drift off to sleep, I heard faint, low noises coming from outside. I opened my windows to see the same man from before jumping the fence of her yard and began slamming himself against the window over and over, yelling, pointing at the door to let him inside. At that moment, I honestly, without a shadow of a doubt, thought I was going to die. My friend was asleep and I was alone. I heard pulling at the back door, which was already badly damaged and it didn't even lock most of the time. I had really bad anxiety, but no panic attack I've ever had was worse than what I felt that moment. After what felt like an hour of just staying there and shaking my head at him, the guy broke a few things in her yard before jumping back over the fence. I don't think I've ever seen anyone so angry. I didn't even close my eyes again for the rest of the night, except to blink, of course. Being 15 now, I realized that man was probably on drugs and had just wandered by my friend's house, but that still doesn't explain why he had a clipboard or why he was completely dry despite the pouring rain. That man will always be a mystery to me and it pains me to think about what he may have wanted or what he may have done if we had let him inside. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters 
and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Number 3. Evil at Home Submitted by Sinks When I was 13 years old, my brother and I moved into a new house in the mountains of Colorado. The upper part of the house was an old frontier cabin, over 100 years old, with a large family room and master bedroom added to the bottom of it. My mother had liked the look and feel of the old house because of the antique atmosphere and cabin-esque walls. The house was surrounded by gorgeous pine trees on every side, a deep and strong river ran not 15 feet from the house itself, and there was a pond right next door. There was a catch to this perfect home, though. The first residents had died in the house. Let's be honest, as old as the house was, it wasn't really all that surprising to hear that its history was for better or worse. There were two rooms on the third story of the house that belonged to my brother and I. Those rooms seemed to be where this entity was most powerful and active. My brother was 17 at the time. He was commuting to his old high school an hour and a half away to finish up his senior year. He was a football and wrestling star who was graduating with very near a 4.0 and was offered several full ride scholarships from very prestigious schools. As such, you need to understand that my brother was hyper-rational, very intelligent, and excelled at nearly everything he wanted to do. So for him to admit weakness or fear, it was something I'd never seen before. We hadn't moved into that house very long when I began to notice little things that were a bit off. One of the first odd occurrences was the hallway light between my brother and I's rooms. No matter how many times I would shut it off, it would always be on when I came back or checked again and I wasn't the only one that experienced this. Apparently, one day when my mom was home alone, she had turned that hallway light off dozens of times because, as she said, it would just keep turning itself on again. My mother began to accuse me of leaving the hallway light on all hours of the night and day. I swore up and down that it wasn't me, but I could tell she didn't believe me. My mother was a hard woman whom my brother had inherited his hyper-rationality from. They didn't believe in much more than they could see or touch. Anyway, the subject was almost dropped when my brother spoke up with, I don't like that hallway. 
My brother's admission of fear chilled me more to the bone than the thought of the hallway light turning itself on. My brother came off as nearly invincible and fearless to most people, but to me, he was a god. My mother eventually just started laughing at my brother, as it seemed so strange and out of place for him to be scared of the dark. Little did she know that in a few short months, the fear would be real for her too. As is common in most paranormal stories, it started out with little things and slowly began to escalate. We'd hear footsteps upstairs. We'd hear things moving and opening and closing when no one else was home. The most common manifestation was the feeling of being watched. Not just being watched like when you look up and accidentally meet eyes with a stranger. This was more like feeling the alarm bells in the back of your head, constantly telling you that something's not right that you're not alone. Like the way all animals have that sixth sense that warns us of the presence of something dangerous. However, most people tend to ignore it. For me, it wasn't much ignoring it, really. I felt more powerless than anything. All I could really do was adjust and pretend that it would go away. As it went on, my parents still didn't believe me or my brother my mom soon came around though, when she herself was home alone again and experienced firsthand what we'd been trying to tell her. She was watching TV one day on the first floor when her small dog began to growl at the foot of the stairs. The hackles on his neck stood straight up. She was trying to calm her dog down when she heard a loud and sudden crash. It came from upstairs. Slowly and cautiously, she began to walk upstairs. Even creepier was the fact that her dog, who would follow her no matter where she went, refused to move from his spot at all at the foot of the stairs and now was shaking with fear. When she got upstairs, she found that two pictures had fallen off the walls. That may not seem weird to some people, but we live in Colorado where earthquakes and other natural disasters that could cause that don't really happen. And those pictures were very stable on the wall, not to mention each picture was on either side of the wall, not on the same side. They both had shattered, leaving shards of glass all over the hallway. Now, in this hallway, there were several decorative pictures, but the ones that had simultaneously been shattered from both sides of the room were both pictures of our family. Looking back now, I think that whatever it was, was making its intentions very obvious. Soon, my mom began to hear footsteps and creaking too. I remember listening to a conversation she had with my dad about it, and dad had laughed, saying it was just an old house. I mean, if I was my dad, I wouldn't have believed it either. I mean, he wasn't here a lot at this time in our lives. My brother won't talk about what happened to him in that house, but I think it was targeting him the most. I always wondered why he was so excited to finally go off to college, and after he left, I became the new target. For two years, I'd try to brush off those sounds of footsteps and the feelings of being watched, but it began to escalate even further. Sometimes it would be inactive if I got lucky, and everything would be calm for months at a time. 
Then there would be other times I remember lying awake at night, feeling as if something was standing next to my bed. I wish I could say it felt strange and otherworldly, but that wouldn't be accurate. Rather, it felt cold and evil. Suddenly, all my relationships began to decline. My relationships with my parents and my friends, they all went downhill since the move. I began to feel more sad than happy. And at one point, I was sitting alone downstairs in the family room when I could clearly hear the sounds of faint whispering all around me and then footsteps coming from upstairs. I had heard footsteps frequently, but these were more distinct, and I swear I could hear someone talking in whispers. I ran to my parents' room on the same floor, ripped open my father's gun cabinet, and went back to the stairway with the Glock firmly in my hands. I was 15, and being from Colorado and the daughter of an avid hunter, I was more than prepared and accurate enough to shoot someone if they decided to come downstairs. But it wasn't a person, and it wasn't in front of me. I didn't hear the indistinguishable voices upstairs anymore. All the whispering, it was now right behind me. I spun around so fast, I nearly shot the mirror behind me when I saw my own reflection. I quickly scanned the room, looking for anyone who might be hiding. When I finally was able to calm down, I went for a walk until my parents got home. I was probably about 16 or 17 now, and my parents were on a vacation to Africa for two weeks. It was raining outside. It had been pouring down hard since the moment they left, but at least I could do what I wanted without their interference, which for me meant on the internet 24-7 and having leftover pizza for breakfast. One night in particular, as I fell asleep to the storm raging outside, that feeling of something being next to me, watching me, came back stronger than ever. Now, this had been happening so frequently over the past three years that I didn't notice it much anymore. And even though it was stronger that night, I just tried to focus on the thunderstorm. I always loved the sound of rolling thunder and I slowly drifted off to sleep. You know that feeling when you're deep asleep, when you're jolted right out of it? Well, I was wide awake suddenly, and the whole house was deathly silent. Then I felt a cold chill down my back. I thought the window had come open, so I turned around to see that it was still shut, but the cold wind kept coming, and I realized it was more like a cold breath, and I could almost hear the sound of breathing. I immediately stiffened up and slowly rolled over to come face to face with it, or at least the form it chose to manifest itself to me. Because when I rolled over, there were two large black eyes, the color of coal, not even a foot from my face. They stared at me dead, no sign of life or recognition. The eyes were surrounded by a pale, small, white face with lips pursed together, almost like a mask. There was no emotion on its face at all. Once the initial panic wore off, it dawned on me. I was looking into the distorted face of a young boy, maybe seven years old. 
They were wearing what looked like an old-fashioned sailor uniform, complete with a white cap and a ribbon that hung off the side of his head. I stared in disbelief and fear. I saw hair coming out from under his hat. Then I noticed it was caked in blood, as if the entire side of his head had been bashed in and then covered up with the hat. I gasped and screamed right there, and lightning hit very near to my room. The thunder seemed to cover up my scream, and then the boy was gone. I gathered my blanket and ran downstairs. I wasn't going back up there, not until my parents came home. The thing didn't bother me for a few months after that, and I was beginning to think that it may have been my imagination. But I can tell you, I'm in my late 20s now, and I've never had anything like that happen again. And I'm not a vivid dreamer. I don't believe what I saw that night was the thing's true form. I'm not sure how to explain it, but I felt it, and it's not just the soul of some lost little boy. This thing doesn't feel human, and it doesn't feel good. It just feels evil. I never saw it in any other form, thank God but I think I would have preferred to see it again rather than what happened one night a few months later. I consider myself a strong and reckless person, someone who's not afraid to jump into a brawl with someone twice my size if the situation called for it. But this night for years afterwards would make me tear up in fear just at the memory of it. My parents were out at dinner one night and I was lazily watching a movie on my couch when I shut it off out of boredom, I began to head upstairs. I was lost in my own thoughts at the time, and I was almost to the top step when I heard someone scream my name. Not a scream of fear, but one of pure hatred and anger. And it wasn't coming from a person. I could feel it shake the entire stairway, and everything began to spin. It was like someone sucked all the warm blood out of my body at once, I felt cold and real terror. This was all in a split second, and then I suddenly felt a strong force push against me. And before I knew it, I was falling down the stairs, trying to grab at the railing on the staircase. I caught the railing, thankfully, after falling about halfway down. I was relatively unhurt, but shaking and sobbing uncontrollably. I crawled to the corner opposite the stairway and tried to call my dad, but I was shaking so badly, I was having a hard time pushing the correct buttons. When I did get through, I asked him to come home. Hearing me cry like that, he became alarmed because I was not easily shaken up, but I couldn't talk about the events that just transpired, so I just told him I was scared. They cut their dinner short for me, and they drove home. My dad came inside and saw that everything was normal, and then began to tease me about being a chicken, until he saw the look on my face, and whatever he saw there made him visibly pale. I didn't tell my parents what exactly happened that night, because I was afraid dwelling on it would make the entity stronger, and I'm not sure they would have believed me anyway. I don't know or care if anyone hearing this believes me, because I know what I heard. I know what I saw and felt. What I felt terrifies me, even today, 
because in the moment before it pushed me down those stairs, I felt exactly what it wanted. It wanted me dead and in the most violent way possible. That was the last page of the odd journal. You close it, a feeling of unease, of a presence not your own overcomes you. Your coffee sits on the windowsill, untouched, now as cold as the pouring rain bombarding your window. These stories, if they're as true as they claim to be, you wonder, what would it all mean? There are haunting things in this life, beings that want only to torment you, people that wish to murder you in your sleep, and oftentimes, it happens in the middle of a storm. It happens when the thunder and rain drowns out the screams of terror and the cries for help. Chills run down your spine. You place the journal on the floor. You shut the curtains of your window and turn on the TV. You try not to think about how that journal got inside your home. Still, you can't help but wonder how many screams and cries you may have missed during this particular storm. And when your bedroom door slowly begins to open behind you, you start to wonder if your desperate voice will be heard or will it be drowned out by the raindrops and booming thunder.